You're listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. This series explores how Jesus' vision for our lives creates a people and a place we want to be a part of. And now, here's today's message. From Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, we read these words of Jesus. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I am convinced that many Christ followers are like Jason Bourne from the Bourne movies, albeit with a little bit less hand-to-hand combat, but let me explain to you what I mean. Jason Bourne suffers amnesia, and he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know his story. But there are all these clues that, that suggest that he is caught up in something much bigger than himself. Clues like he can just reflexively dismantle and put back together a handgun in like four seconds. He can outdrive Mario Andretti. He can defeat a a knife-wielding assassin with just a rolled-up Times columnist. So clearly there's more to Jason Bourne than meets the eye. He's got these unique abilities, these instincts, and these desires inside of him And when you couple with that all of these dark forces that are hell-bent on destroying them, they're all huge hints that he is part of something big. And so his task is to figure out who he is, to discover the truth about his identity, his real identity. And that's kind of like us. As followers of Jesus, our task is also to figure out who we are. And just like Jason Bourne, there are these unique things inside of us, these abilities, these reflexes, these desires in us that suggest that you are also caught up in something bigger than just your middle-class Canadian story. Some of you have amazing abilities. Like some of you have this special ability where you could see through the white noise of of stuff that's going on in people's life into their their hurt and you are able to discern the the root and the cause of that hurt and you're able to meet people in that and help them. Some of you are great at motivating people to invest in something that's still unseen to them but you can help them see it. And you inspire people to sacrifice for it. Some of you, the the greater the mess you find in someone's life, somehow the greater the mercy it is that you have for them. We call those spiritual gifts, and they're actually clues inside of you to the bigger story that you are in. Now, similarly... Many of us have experienced a change in our internal wiring from the moment that we met Jesus. Like you found, you come to Jesus and unexpectedly you found all these new passions and these new priorities inside of you that were not there before you knew Jesus. Like for example, 
When I first became a Christian, I went from like rocking out to ACDC in my car to listening to Michael W. Smith and liking it. <laughs> like, if you know how, you know, wonderfully terrible Friends or Friends Forever is, you know that that is evidence that the Spirit of God must be doing something inside of me. It was a clue that the Spirit was giving me this passion not just for cheesy music, but to see the power of music used to lift people's hearts to God. And so in this series that we're about to launch into, I, I want to follow these clues that are inside of us because they're going to lead us to, to who Jesus made you to be. And they also become the means by which we become the, the type of place Jesus wants us to become. They're going to be how we become more of Jesus' people and more of Jesus' place. Which brings us to Matthew chapter 28. By way of introduction, um, I want you to see that, that among the last words that Jesus speaks before he leaves his disciples is he instructs us, his subsequent followers, to immerse people, to baptize them into their new identity, which is Trinity. Our new identity is triune. By that I mean we are not just baptized in Jesus' name. We're not just baptized in God, but we are baptized in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit. And those are not just three ways to say the same thing. That's not Jesus' you know, cute phrase to try to brand or, or slogan his Trinitarian theology. In fact, each one of those carries something very, very specific and profound for us as Jesus' followers. Each one of those names carries a distinct theological declaration into your identity. And together, all of it is in our baptism. It all comes together in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, that they together define who we are. So there are specific aspects of your personhood and your spiritual identity that comes from being immersed in the Father, whose purpose is to adopt you, to, to give you a new name, to make you his child. And, and that purpose is distinct from the Spirit, whose primary purpose is to empower you and to send you out as witnesses in Jesus' name. And so from each member of the Trinity, there resounds a distinct kind of clarion call of who you are. And when those three voices, when those three calls harmonize together, when we, we take them all serious, they become the pillar of our identity, then they become like the back door to the wardrobe in Narnia. They usher us into a story that's bigger and better than our own little lives. It's then that you begin to make sense of your purpose. You understand, this is why I've been wired the way I've been wired. It's then that, that you will understand why you yearn for certain things and why certain things in the church just break your heart. It's because, like in, with Jason Bourne, they're clues to who you actually are. So in the coming weeks... I'm actually going to pull out four essential pillars of your identity out of Matthew chapter 28. 
so we can see afresh what does it mean for us as individuals to be Jesus' people and collectively as central to be Jesus' place. That's where we're going. Um, a, a few years back, I had an unforgettable experience while I was in a remote jungle in Southeast Asia. And I'm actually confident that most of you will actually be able, be able to relate to this experience because it's tied to something deep ingrained within us. Uh, it was 2019, and uh, my family, we were on a sabbatical in Southeast Asia, and on this day, we were in the middle of a nine-day trek um, through the wilds jungle of northern Vietnam. And we had just spent hours trudging over this muddy little path where we literally went right over a rural, rugged mountain into this, you know, this remote valley on the other side where there was a little village, probably of maybe 20 families living in this village. Um, it was so small and remote that there were no roads to this village. There's not a single store anywhere within probably a 20-kilometer radius of this village. They had only just got electricity 10 months earlier. And it was here in this unexpected place that I was given a clue into who Jesus' people are through a 16-year-old girl that we met. As we were passing through the village, we saw her sitting on the side of the trail beside the field that she had been working in. And her back was to us, and her body language and her posture clearly communicated that something was wrong. We came up and we sat beside her, and she was as you can imagine, shocked by all these white faces who just walked out of the jungle and sat down beside her. And she was embarrassed and she quickly wiped away the tears that had been freely flowing down her cheeks. And our guide began to talk to her and begin to kind of probe what was wrong, what was going on. And with some coaxing, she began to unburden herself. And she shared some of her struggles with us. And our translator began to relay her story, and we all felt compassion for her, pierce our hearts. And our counter encounter probably would have ended there, and she would have just been another one of those heartbreaking, hard stories that we heard while we were in Southeast Asia. But what came next took my breath away. Our Buddhist translator named Yah told us that this 16-year-old girl is a follower of Jesus, and as we walked up, she was praying and weeping and asking encouragement from God. And unprompted, our translator told her that we were Jesus followers too, and that I was a pastor. And something happened in that moment. That I'll never forget. Her face lit up. I mean like pure joy radiated from her. And in that moment, it didn't matter that we spoke different languages. It didn't matter that we lived in entirely different cultural contexts. It didn't matter that our customs or our cultures were strange to each other. None of the things that were dissimilar between us mattered because in that moment when we learned that we were together in Christ, we embraced each other like family, and I felt a closeness and an affinity with her that was difficult to put into words, and I know why. It's because Jesus' people 
are a spiritual family. That's who we are. I felt the truth of Paul's words in Ephesians 2 when he says, In Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near. Not because of yourself, not on your own efforts, not because of where you were born or what age you were born. You were brought near because of the blood of Christ. Through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Jesus' people are a spiritual family. And this Vietnamese girl from this rare Hmong tribe and this Canadian family experienced the powerful bonds of spiritual family. And it didn't matter all the differences that we had. It didn't matter the age gap. It didn't matter the cultural gap. It didn't matter what generation we were from. Those differences were all made insignificant because we are children of God the Father, which makes us family. And Paul would say, that her and I, just like myself and you, he would remind us that we were both far from God and that the same good news that rescued you, that rescued me and my family, rescued her, the same blood of the same Christ is our same hope and is our same birthright, is our same inheritance. And though we were strangers and though our differences were many, we were transported right through those differences to embrace each other as family. And if you've ever had a similar experience, which I bet many of you had, where you met somebody for the first time and your mutual faith in Jesus created a closeness to this person who you just met, then you tapped into this deep spiritual reality. It's actually a clue to who you are and who you are meant to be and how you are meant to orchestrate your life in Jesus' name. It itself is evidence that you have been adopted into God's family. And if God is your father, that means in very real way you are part of a spiritual community and you will feel that pull of family when you meet your siblings. And I bet you many of you have had that same experience. Anybody? Um, sidebar. How good and caring is our Heavenly Father that in His sovereign providence He would see this girl, He would hear her lament, he would know her tears and he would have a nobody pastor and a nobody family travel 11,352 kilometers. I looked it up to walk out of the jungle this exact moment when she was praying and asking for encouragement. That's the type of heavenly father we have who wants you to know him as father and wants you to experience the warmth and the power and the love and the vitality and the security and the joy that comes with being part of a spiritual family. And this is why Jesus 
shaped so much of his ministry the way he did because spiritual family is really important to Jesus and his people. Let, let, let me read to you just a, a, a familiar verse from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18. As he, Jesus, was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting their net into the sea since they were fishermen, and he said to them, follow me. He told them, and I will make you fish from people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Now right from the very beginning, we see that Jesus did not call a disciple, singular. He called disciples, plural. Now, that's maybe the simplest point you've ever heard from a sermon up here. You're like, this guy is really deep. Uh, but hear me, that is actually profound. That's profound and critical for you to understand who you are. See, to follow Jesus is to be in community together, apprenticing under, learning under our master, Jesus, together. Furthermore, never once does Jesus command somebody to be a disciple, but he commands us to make disciples, plural. Which itself suggests that at the core of your spiritual journey is going to be other people that you are journeying with. And this shatters this common Western individualistic notion that you can just follow Jesus on your own. It's just like you and your Wi-Fi feed and your Bible and that's all I need. And Jesus says, nah, uh That's not how I've engineered it. That's not how I've wired you to experience the fullness of my life for you. To accept the invitation to follow Jesus is to simultaneously accept the invitation to be in community with other disciples. That's what it comes with. Now, not everybody, of course, accept Jesus' invitation, but everyone who did discovered a collection of faces that walked into their lives along with Jesus's. Because Jesus doesn't come packaged alone. He comes with a community. And everything in Jesus' vision of life is engineered for you to deeply connect with other disciples because you're not a Jesus person. You're Jesus people. You're, you're, not a, you're not an individual, you know, lone child. You're part of a family. It's, it's who you are. Now, are we clear on that simple point? Can I move on? Can we agree? Okay, because, stay with me, Jesus is going to take it a huge step further and going to say some stuff that might be a little bit uncomfortable for you. It's Jesus' words, not mine. Just remember that. Um, on this one particular day, Jesus is teaching his disciples uh, when his biological mom and his biological brother are outside and they want to have a word with him. I don't know if you remember this story. You can find it in Matthew chapter 12. Let me read it to you. Beginning in verse 46. Jesus was still speaking to the crowd when suddenly his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But Jesus replied to the one who told him, 
Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that person is my brother and sister and mother. What I want you to see is that Jesus does not define his family by bloodline. His family is not defined by who grew up in (laughs) the same house, who has the same last name. Instead, Jesus defines his family by those who are spiritually journeying with him. So to be a child of the Father is to be a brother and a sister with others in faith, which is your spiritual family. And according to Jesus, your spiritual family is as big or bigger a priority than your biological family. That's what Jesus taught. That's what Jesus practiced. That's what Jesus calls his disciples into. Now, this is so radical because none of us think this way. Certainly, hardly anybody I know actually lives this way. But this is a teaching and the call of Jesus that your spiritual family is to be as important to you as your biological family. Now, why is Jesus so passionate about this? Because, hear me, the health of your spiritual life and your biological family's spiritual life will be directly proportional to the health of your connection to your spiritual family. And this is the best, this understanding is the best way to to interpret all those strange things that Jesus says about family. You know the parable, like, there's, Jesus tells a story about the one guy who wants to follow him, but I just, I need to go home. My dad just died to do his funeral, and Jesus is like, "Uh uh-uh, it's either me or him. You're like, what? Like, just let the guy go do the funeral. What, what is Jesus driving at in these strange stories? Like this one in Luke 14, when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father and mother, your wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, obviously, Jesus is not advocating hate. The mark of a disciple is love, even love of enemies. So, of course, we're supposed to love our family deeply. But Jesus is is being hyperbolic. He is saying the call of following Jesus, the call of being a disciple, trumps even your biological family. Which means part of loving your biological family well will be to also embrace and love your spiritual family well also. Now, this gives me three quick thoughts that kind of jump out of this this idea that Jesus gives to us. One is that obviously this should tell us how important it is for our biological family to be connected to our spiritual family. Moms and dads, this should be reminding us that, that we need to be investing in our kids' spiritual development in, this, in their spiritual family, not just their place in their home and in their biological family. It also reminds us that, that your kids are going to need to hear about how good Jesus is from more voices than just your own. That, that's, that's why truly it takes a church and the giftings, the multiple giftings in a church to, to invest in our people. And so if 
Tom was like, his video was triggering anything with you. I'm like, yes, lean into that. But it also means that you need to model to your kids, and, and hear me, moms and dads, you need to model to your kids how important their spiritual family is to your biological family. Now, the stats surrounding the transferability of faith from one generation to the next, you've probably heard them. They're terrible. They're not good. The majority of kids who grow up in the church do not stay part of the church. And I wonder if it's not in part because we have shown them that spiritual family is optional. Often our well-intentioned investment in our biological family comes at the expense of our spiritual family. What I mean is that we got sports and we got clubs and we got weekend activities and, and we fill up the calendar with all these family activities which leaves very little room for our spiritual family. And we gather at church when there's nothing else more important going on. And we send the message to our kids that gathering with our church, with our spiritual family, is something we opt into when there's nothing more pressing on the calendar. And then we grieve when our kids mimic us and walk away from the church and they don't value spiritual family and maybe it's because that's what we model to them. Hear me, moms and dads. If you don't make your spiritual family a priority, chances are your kids won't either. And Jesus does these emphatic teachings to say, no, no, your spiritual family is as important, at least as important as your biological family. Second observation. Because this is how Jesus views family. This is why singleness is a viable option in Jesus' family. Because those intrinsic needs you have to be known and be connected and be part of a group of people, that, that need you have for deep relationships are, are, are able to be met in your spiritual family. Third observation. Well, we become most like Jesus in relationship, in community. Um, I've been pastoring for a long time, and, and here is something that I can guarantee you it has proven itself true time after time after time. I have never met anybody who is spiritually thriving who is journeying on their own. Never. Well, I met people who know lots about the Bible I know people who, who are comfortable with, their own, with themselves in the quiet, but I have never met anybody who is spiritually alive in Jesus, firing on all cylinders, who is journeying alone. The people who stay connected in spiritual community are the ones who grow. Because you see, in private, in some isolated spiritual journey, you can construct a religion a religious framework about God, but actually you won't experience much grace. You might have a doctrine about love, but very little experience of loving. 
You might have a creed that talks about how important confession is, but you'll have no practice of it. You see, without life on life, deep relationships, the tactile stuff of faith becomes just words and ideals because it takes a spiritual family to make them real and to root them in you. Because grace, love, patience, all those attributes of Jesus are attributes of relationship. And relationships are what moves the gospel from the theoretical idea into a shared reality. Because to be a community of disciples in Jesus' name requires us to steward the gospel all the time toward each other and from you back towards me. Community requires us to wield the gospel in our failures and in our mistakes and in the inevitable hurts and, that we cause and wounds that we receive. The gospel is what is applied to help us remain and stay a spiritual family. So you must be in a meaningful, significant spiritual relationship with your spiritual family if you're gonna get more of Jesus and his gospel in your life, which is why Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. What he's saying is that when you gather, I'm there with you in a way that I'm not when you're alone. And so the love of the Father calls us toward each other so that this love that God has poured in our hearts begins to pour out of us into each other so that we all get more of his love through one another. In fact, Jesus will even take it one step further and he's gonna say that the way that we interact with each other, the way that we treat each other and how we show ourselves to be family is the most explicit evidence of who we are. Jesus says it like this, a new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, plural again, disciples in community, if you love one another. So church, what that means, and, and, and I want you to hear this from me because this is one of the things that, that charges up my batteries for who we're gonna become, is that church is not just this human community to be managed or tolerated. It is a spiritual family to be loved and treasured and experienced. Worship team, will you guys come on up? Now, I say that, and I know that there are people in this room and there are people at home watching who um, your experience of church does not match any of that. That often as Jesus followers, the, the identity that Jesus declares who we are and our experience runs way south of that. They're, they don't seem to match up. Many of us have had a take-it-or-leave-it relationship with the church. Some of it's for good reasons. Too often, the church is not a place where the spiritual bond of family is, is, is invested in and made powerful. It's not a unifying force that is able to bring us together despite all of the differences that would keep us apart. In fact, if COVID has showed us anything, 
is that, man, we will let secondary issues split us and break apart relationships and divide churches. Why? Because we don't really see ourselves as a spiritual family, and that's not really that important. And we don't really have a culture where we put the gospel first and we wield the gospel to keep ourselves together and express our love towards one another. And so because of that, our experience in church Maybe one that has just made a mockery of this idea of family. And, and, and I get that. And if that's you, I am so glad that you were tuning in. And if you're coming kind of limping in here and you want to hide in the back and you want to get out as soon as you just want to like, you want to do that Christian ninja thing where you drop the smoke bomb and as soon as the church is gone, you're, you're like, wait, he was here somewhere and you're just gone because you don't want to talk to anybody because you've been wounded. Hear, hear me, I get that. And I'm so glad you're here. Because the truth is, we as Jesus' followers have not been very good at living into our identity as family. And because of that, what happens in church is we settle for a pseudo-community, a, a pseudo-family, where we're, we have some niceties and pleasantries toward each other, you know, once a week for an hour and a half, and, and maybe we'll tolerate a meal together once every quarter, and a big Thanksgiving banquet, and then it's like, you go your way, I'll go mine, and we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll meet again for this thin little plastic encounter next Sunday. With every sermon in this series, when I talk to you about a declared identity that Matthew 28 gives us, I'm also gonna talk about how do we actually experience this so that our communal experience matches who Jesus says you are. And I have found that there is one thing above everything else, one virtue that when it gets wielded in community, when we take a risk and actually start to wield this one virtue and live into it, it changes everything. And the Apostle Paul has a whole lot to speak about that. So if you want to know what that one thing is, you got to come back next week. <laughs> and if you're there, maybe you can come back in person and we can meet because I would love to have you here. Let me pray for us. And then let's sing. Let's sing together. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have, because of the currency of your own heart, because of the expansiveness of your love for your people, you have sent your son to break into time, to break into our story, to lay down his life, the one who was truly your son, to, to lay down his life so that we also could become your sons and your daughters. I thank you that, that we have that staggering experience where, where we should be dragged before the you as judge of the universe into the courtroom of heaven and we expect the gavel to come down and say guilty, condemned, and instead our, our conviction um, trial gets turned to an adoption ceremony where you take off the robes and you come from behind the bench and you embrace us as children. And I thank you that part of the blessing of who we are as your sons and daughters is that you have given us a community where we can truly be known and we can know others, where your gospel is powerful enough to unite us. And this is how you engineered the fullness of our experience of your love. And so Jesus, I pray for those who are here who have been wounded by your church, 
I thank you that they love you enough and they feel that pull to be with others enough that they're here. And I'm asking God that you would meet them in tenderness and that you would inspire us to, to live into who you have called us to be, that we might be a place where people say, man, I, I don't know about their God, I don't know about those Jesus thing, but nobody loves each other like those people at Central love each other. May that be true of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.